supply wood to it just to make it so it's habitable so that we can sell it without our what keep it or whatever we're going to do with it uh, without any you know, without our consciences being totally seared I cannot turn this house over to anyone a tenant or a, a new buyer if we choose to keep it and rent it I can't rent it uh, with uh, a clear conscience it's simply just not safe yet but we're working on it and we'll get it anyway that again for all you folks who are wondering where we've been back to where we were when we left two weeks ago that was second kings chapter one and second kings chapter two and it's very important that whenever you're talking about second kings two that you never forget that you have to have second kings one you separate the two, you're going to be in trouble. So that's where we were. That's Elijah and Elisha, for those of you who might not know that, and all the mystery that comes with these two prophets. And we're only going to get to some of the mystery because of where we are in Romans. But what they say to each other is unbelievable. Um, and people just read it too quickly and don't recognize what these two men are saying to each other, and then what they say to the people that are around them, and what do they say to the people that are trying to kill them, and what do they do? <coughs> Elijah and Elisha form this fascinating, complex, dualistic prophecy. And what I mean by that is they are, it's one prophecy with these two people in it um, that uh, is just amazing. And it's obvious that they testify about the two comings of Christ, the two advents of Christ, if you will, if you think of it that way. Advents is more correct. Christ comes in mercy the first time, and he comes as a Messiah king in judgment the second time. We were talking before the... the um, look at this, um, this un, unfathomable ability the government has to track each and every one of us now. Back in the early 80s, they were saying, "We someday we will listen to you through your dishwasher. And everybody made fun of them. And when the first cell phones come out, and you know I do not have a cell phone. They were, what, about this big? They were the size of a toaster. And uh, we used to mock at everybody that had them. We called them the, the governmental or antichrist location device. That was our joke. Now they're little tiny things, and they can tell where you are. And what you say, who has, uh, who has these devices in your vehicles that give you emergency service? Just push the button, right? Well, they know where your car is. They know what you're saying. They can turn it on without you. They don't need you. Uh, that is a revelation prophecy. That at some time, the world will be controlled by a system that looks, that, that simulates, that counterfeits omnipresence. You understand that God is omnipresent. He hears everything. He sees everything. He knows everything. And the simulation of that is going to happen. And people would mock it. All you got to do now is read the news. Every transaction can be monitored, mined. The data mining is amazing now that they have. And the gentleman who... who, uh, his run to Hong Kong for exposing it uh, apparently said it is growing at a rate that is exponential. You cannot imagine how fast the magnitude of this data collection and monitoring system, what it's going to be able to do. So, that's what? That's great news. 
That really is. That's, as I said earlier, it's time to get the popcorn out and sit down and watch it come. That's fantastic. Somebody's got to live when this all happens. Why not me? I've been saying that for a long time. I have no retirement. What's the first thing I'm going to do when if this starts to happen and I know that we're not going to make it, that the Christ will come and get us and there will be no retirement? What will I do? That's right. I will laugh at all of you who have planned and worked so hard. Okay. Where was it? There's the two comings of Christ. And the second coming um, is in kingship, judgment. He ends sin. He stops the sin. Finally, he puts an end to all of the free will sin of humanity uh, for a season, for a thousand years. And then that thousand years demonstrates something else. But the first time that he came, he came to save. He came in mercy. So I have these two parts of his of his uh, messiahship, if you will. I have the merciful salvation, the sacrificial substitution, his fulfilling of the sacrificial uh, system of Israel, the blood sacrifice, the blood atonement, if you will, and the second time I have his kingship. So he calls himself, he says he has three offices, and he's, he's doing two of them when he comes separate times. He's the prophet, uh, he uh, like unto Moses, or Moses is like unto him, and then he is the king separated by the high priest. But so there's three offices, and and he's done those two. Uh, he's done two of those, but the prophet and king are separated. And most people see Elijah and Elisha as typological of those of the prophet and the king um, offices of Christ, uh, and that is absolutely the case. But as you should expect, there's a great deal more. That's just the surface. That's the the stuff on the ground. Uh, you start. You get a shovel, and you find more and more and more with regard to what Elijah and Elisha teaches of God. Individually and collectively, they form a comprehensive prophecy portrait of Jesus Christ. It's just amazing to find it. That it's, Frankly, it's astonishing and it's unexplainable. How do we explain what they represent? In the sense that no one could have ever imagined or invented the events that would contain all of this complex truth. Actual, literal people, places, and things, but they have things hidden inside of them that are amazing. It's intellections. Now, what I mean by that, it's the reasonings, it's the mental properties, it's the mind of God hidden inside of these two prophets. And what they did and what they said, actually did, actually said, literal people who actually did and said everything, but also hidden inside is his mind, how he thinks, obviously on a very small scale. But with Elijah and Elisha, we get a glimpse, a dimly lit, momentary revelation of God's thoughts. And, and as you know, all the Bibles like that. But I'm trying to tell you that Elisha and Elijah are extra. They're, they're incredible, in my opinion, because they know it while it's happening. That makes them different. Moses knew it when it was happening to him. But I have two guys that both know it about each other while it's happening to both of them. They have this complementary element. And again, just as Moses and Aaron might have had, uh, Moses uh, said the prophet that's coming would be like me, and Aaron knew that the high priest portion of Christ's three offices would be like Aaron. And David and Solomon, they represent the two phases of Christ's kingship. 
um, the, uh, the judgment phase and then the rulership phase. You know, David went around and killed uh, uh, the enemies of Israel. Christ will return and he will kill the enemies of Israel in the same way. So you see the Davidic side of Christ's uh, uh, kingship and you see the ruler side, the wise rulership side that is portrayed by Solomon. So all of that, let me just recap that a bit. Moses and Aaron, prophet and high priest typology, two of Christ's three offices. And then Elijah and Elisha, their king and prophet, or prophet and king, but actually their king and prophet chronologically. Again, I'm going to tell you that Elijah and Elisha, they're the calculus of this stuff. They're the quantum physics of the Old Testament. This is the place you go when you really want to spend your life trying to figure out what's here. Um, more so than Ezekiel. Because again, there's this enigmatic conversation that occurs at Second Kings 2. And what makes it so special is they understand their connection to each other. So you get a little glimpse into something. That's very unique in the Bible. Um, it's not the only place it's in the Bible, but it's the only place that it really happens at the level that it's there between two human beings. Usually it's not two human beings when this happens. So we'll get to that in a moment. Um, and in the last lecture that I did, number 111, I started to introduce this conversation. I read it. We read it a little bit. We're going to read it again. And you need to know where the conversation is. How many were here last time I did this? Anybody? Uh, I talked about last, last service we had. Service 111. How many were not here? Okay. Okay. Well, you got to know something. I have a king that falls down. And he wants to know if he's going to live or die. Okay? That's Ahaziah. So he falls down. And then I have, he sends out three captains with 50 men each. And, uh, and then he dies. This is his fall, or he falls down, this is his death. So uh, you have to know that's beforehand. And if you remember, if you were not here, I'll just cover it really quickly. Um, these three captains come out and they confront Elijah. And Elijah kills a hundred of them. And the last captain goes, hey, I'm not going to do what the first two guys did. I'm going to throw myself down and beg for mercy. The first two came out and said, come down. The first guy came and said, come down to Elisha. And Elijah said, if I am a man of God, fire will come down and consume you. Something will come down. It won't be Elijah. It'll be fire. And that man and his 50 men are burned. The second captain comes out and he goes, come down now. How do you think that worked out? Elijah said the same thing. If I am a man of God, fire will come down and consume you. And did. The third captain is what I call one of the wisest men that has ever lived. He comes out and he goes, I'm not saying what those two idiots said. I'm not doing it. I'm going to throw my, please spare my life and the life of my men. You are a man of God. That's pretty obvious to me, and I'm not going up against God. I'm not a fool. So that happens, and then Anna's, uh, Ahaziah, he dies, because Elijah said, you're going to die. And uh, 
There's a bunch of Baal Zebub, not Baal Zebub, Baal Zebub worship, and we'll get to that in a minute. So you need to know that's there, okay? And you have those three great questions of Elijah. He says it three times. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you are inquiring of Baal Zebub? No, those three questions. And, and then the, uh, if I am a man of God, let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. So that's what, that's what's gone on first. We covered that back in uh, May. Uh, and we'll do it again next week. And so now I have this conversation between Elijah and Elijah that comes after all of that of 1 Kings uh, chapter 1, or 2 Kings chapter 1. And what happens next is we have we have uh, 50 men, and it's very important that you see this 50 men thing keep repeating. And so you see this tie that is the 50 men. I have 50 men in uh, chapter 1, and I have 50 men in chapter 2, and that's telling you that there's a connection between these two, and they, they feed on one another, if you will. Or Actually, 1 Kings 1 explains what happens in 1 Kings 2. People ask me all the time, explain the, the two bears that kill the 50, 42 of the 50 men. And so well, you can't explain the two bears unless you understand the context or the beginning. It's like coming in halfway through the movie and asking people, well, why are they doing that? Well, they're doing it because of this. The fall, the 50 men and the three captains and the death of the king. Okay? So in the next portion of the, of the uh, events, we have the looking for the body. Of Elijah, but I'm just going to put looking for the body. Okay, and I'll make a big B out of that so you know there's something more here. And then I have the new bowl and the salt. Okay, the new bowl and the salt. And then lastly, in, in uh, 2 Kings 2, I have the two she bears, female bears, and the death of 42 men. And that asks the great question, why did eight survive? So, got all of that? I hope you do. Now, if you remember, and and my expectations are low because it was three weeks ago, I emphasize that this conversation that happens, uh, happens right here in the middle. Between Elijah and Elisha. I have a conversation in the middle of those two events, almost like a, uh, in the old days, an intermission. So I've got the movie of, of the fall, and the 50 men and the death and the consuming fire, and then I have the uh, looking for the dead, or for the body of Elijah, I shouldn't have said dead, the new bowl and the salt, and the two she bears, and in between that I have this conversation that refers back to this and forward to this. And so if you're trying to figure out why those bears came out of the woods and killed 42 out of 50 and why eight survived, you have to know about that. Does that make sense? I can't emphasize that enough. Okay? And last week, and I know you, so few of you were here, I, I, I said the context of this, the theme of it, if you will, um, the driving context, what this is all about is what? Does anybody remember? Please, somebody get it. Give me some morale boost. This is about a topic. What is the topic of all of this really about? Is it re- this actually happened? A hundred men were consumed by fire. There's a baby 
rushing for the door. Amanda has cornered him. That is the fastest crawling baby in the world. <laughs> what, what is this really about? Yes, it actually happened. There really was two bears. There really was 42 men killed. And they're not children, by the way, because I have 50 men here. I got 50 men there. I got soldiers there. Soldiers there. You'll see a translation mistake. And, and many, many Bibles that don't understand the context. But why did they go out? They really did go out and look for the body of Elijah after his ascension. There really was a new bull and salt and that uh, took care of uh, the city of Jericho. And uh, we'll get to that in a minute. But what is this really about, even though that actually happened? Do you remember? It's, it's very important. Yes. Yes, absolutely correct. Were you here? Oh, good. Yay, yay, we'll put Jonas on the board here. It is about the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what it's about. When you're reading this Second Kings 1 and 2 in the Old Testament, you have to tell yourself, this is about the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. All of it is. That is why when the Jehovah's Witnesses come to me, I ask them about continuity of germ plasm and I ask them about 2 Kings 1 and 2 because they don't believe the body of Jesus Christ resurrected. And that's a big problem for them. But that's the driving theme is the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. The doctrine, the profound truth that the body resurrection of Jesus Christ is true and real. It's the subject of 1 Kings 1 and 1 Kings 2. So when you read 2 Kings 2, you always connect it to 2 Kings 1. They can't be separated or you won't understand it. Can't say that enough. And equally important, actually far more important, is to know that 2 Kings 2 is marinated in the doctrine of the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. <coughs> Excuse me. If Jesus Christ is not risen, if his body did not rise, if he could not raise himself from the dead, and he says, I will raise myself from the dead. He's part of the, he is the, not parts, he is within the triune Godhead, within the Elohim. I will raise myself. The Bible also says the Father raised him and the Holy Spirit raised him. They are all one God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God is one God. Deuteronomy, right? 6-4, the Shema. Jesus Christ said, I will raise myself. Tear down this temple in three days, I will lift it back up. And the temple is his own body. So he has the power to resurrect himself. Okay? Makes sense? He's God, right? But if that isn't true, then there is no hope, no salvation. There is no end to sin. There is no hope. We're all doomed. And that's for 1 Corinthians 15. All of 1 Corinthians 15. Read that and you'll see that the greatest theological, uh, pharisaical Jew that ever lived made that point in an entire chapter of 1 Corinthians. Okay. Holy Spirit, obviously, being involved in that. Let's revisit this amazing conversation between these extremely wise men who knew and understood things that I wrote few ever know exist, much less discuss. I, I don't know if that's accurate. It is very rare to find somebody that understood what happened 
in this conversation. What these guys were really talking about. Most people think they, they, they read it and they get it and they say, oh, well, yeah, they were talking about this. And I, I, I hate to say this, I don't want to insult people, but they are so wrong, I don't even know where to begin. So let's read it again together. And this will help the people catch up. So there we go. Uh, we're at Second Kings chapter, chapter 2, and this is the conversation between these amazingly wise prophets. And this is also called, by the way, the mystery of the two female bears. Um, so, here we go. We'll read it again. And it came to pass when the Lord was about to take up Elijah into heaven by a whirlwind that Elijah, Elijah went to Elisha from Gilgal. Then Elijah said to Elisha, stay here, please. Uh, I won't write it, I don't have time. Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Bethel. All right, Bethel. You need to know something's going to happen here. So obviously you go, why did he go to get Elisha? And why did he say this to him? But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they both went down to Bethel, which means what? House of God. What's, what do we have to, why are we going to Bethel? Who in their right mind would go to Bethel? Bethel, Alaska. I've been there. I would put a sewer line in. I never went back. I went straight from Bethel, Alaska to Honolulu, Hawaii, knowing full well that I had to get as far away demographically and every other element climatically as I could from Bethel, Alaska. That was, I learned how to drink coffee, and I hated coffee, but you had to drink something there. That was a miserable place. I'll never forget it. Anyway. But so, I don't know why I even got on that. And they both, so they went down to Bethel. Now, the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel, what's the first question you ask? Okay, who are the sons of the prophets? And I just went through a story where I had three groups of 50 men. So I gotta ask the obvious question. Is it 50 men again? Because I know the two refer to each other. So the sons of the prophets who were at Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? So Elijah is going to be taken today. Do you know that? And Elisha says, Yes, I know. Shut up. He really says keep quiet. But I'll go ahead and give you my... Uh, I'll give you a clue as to my position on what he means. But I'll, I'll, just for now, I'll, I'll pretend I don't have a position. Yes, I know. Keep silent. But do you see that exclamation point? Yes, I know. Keep silent. That helps you, I think, understand what's going on between the two, Elisha and Elijah, and also the sons of the prophet of Bethel and Elisha. Okay? Then Elijah said to him, Elisha, stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. Now notice 
I have two different places now. What do you think is going to happen? He's setting up, God is setting up a contrast between the two places, isn't he? Or a comparison, at least. The Lord has sent me on to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. Now the sons of of the prophets who were at Jericho came to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that the Lord will take away your master over you today? So he answered, Yes, I know. Keep silent. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, please, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. Uh Uh-oh. The Jordan. He's starting to see the pattern, I hope. But he said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on and 50 men of the sons of the prophets went and stood facing them at a distance while the two of them stood by the Jordan. So I have 50 men watching them by the Jordan. So I obviously have to ask myself, did I have 50 men talk to him at Bethel? And did I have 50 men talk to him at Jericho? Don't I? I have 50 men, 50 men, 50 men. Do I have 50 men, 50 men, 50 men? Does that make sense? If it does... I fear for you greatly, but I hope it does. Now, Elijah took his mantle. This is this covering that he wore that was a, an extraordinary covering that you find again with John the Baptist, by the way. The mantle is this, uh, he was not a hairy man. The covering had the, those attributes to it. So he takes off his covering and he rolled it up and killed the water, it says in the Old King James. Smote the water, which I think is absolutely correct. And it was divided this way, and that, and the two men crossed over on dry ground. And so it was, I'm going to speed up now so I can get to it. And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I may do for you before I am taken away from you. And Elisha said, please let a double portion of your spirit be upon me. Now many people don't understand that, so I might take a little interlude. So he said... You have asked a hard thing. Elijah said, you want twice of what I've got. That's a hard thing. And Elisha, by the way, knew it was a hard thing. You want twice what Elijah has? You got two times the trouble. Two times the pain and the suffering. Elisha says, give me the pain and the suffering. He wasn't asking for stuff. He wasn't asking for power. He was asking for the the hard thing that Elijah had to go through. And if you read Elijah's story, he's got the, the enemies, he's got Jezebel, right? All of the things that he did. Elijah believed at one point that there was no one left but him that believed in God. And God said, no, I got a few hidden. But we were down to 7,000. There wasn't a lot left in Israel that believed in the true God of Israel. Okay? You have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. Some people think it's a, that we're going to have more power and more uh, miracles. And then Elijah had six and Elisha had twelve. And all of that may be true, but that doesn't, uh, that isn't what I think is happening here. I think the hard thing is exactly right. But if you do not, it shall not be so. In other words, you have to watch me do this, otherwise it won't happen. Then it happened as they continued on and talked. So they're talking. 
Ask about what? And suddenly a chariot of fire appeared. This is of Ezekiel 1. A description of this is in Ezekiel 1, verse 4. A chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and he cried out, My father, my father. Man, that should light you up right there. He could have said anything he wanted to say. He says, my father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. So he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them into two pieces. And then he took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and killed the water, smote the water. And said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? So we covered this last time. He's asking a question he knows the answer to. So there's a clue right there. He's not asking this question for himself. He knows where the Lord God of Elijah is. He's asking it for the people that are watching him kill the water. He wants to know if they know the question. And do they know the answer to the question? And did they know the answer? No. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's on Elisha. Do you know that? Not very many people know that. Not very many people know it again. And when he also had struck the water, it divided his way this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So I have the crossing over of the Jordan River going on here, and a heaping up of it, just like the Red Sea, just like someplace else in the Bible, Joshua. Now, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And we're thinking, well, they got it. No. If you were here last time I did this, you know that's not true. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. So far, so good. Then they said to him, look now, there are 50 strong men. So here we got the 50 again. Uh, with your servants, please let them go and search for your master. So they're going to go out and look for the body of Elijah. And that tells you something right now. These are really bad students of Scripture. They have very little understanding. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the Spirit of the Lord has taken him up and threw him upon some mountain or, or into some valley. In other words, maybe the body fell out of the chariot. Let's go find it. It's got to be here somewhere. And Elisha says, you shall not send anyone. But they urged him, and I'll put in my own little... Commentary here, they urged him and they urged him and they urged him and they badgered him and they badgered him and they badgered him until he was ashamed of them. It says he's ashamed. He's not ashamed of himself. He's ashamed of the ones that are bothering him to go look for the body of Elijah. And he said, go. Go look. Go on. And therefore they sent 50 men. There's a 50 men again and they searched for three days but did not find him, and when they came back to him, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Okay? There is our conversation. As you know, I then have the new bowl and the salt and the healed water and the two she-bears coming next. But that's pretty much the conversation that occurred between those two events. Okay? So, 
as we reread this, uh, I was emphasizing intentionally certain aspects. The stay here, please, for example, uh, I know, keep silent, uh, Bethel and Jericho and then Jordan um, and all of that from Lecture 111 for those of you on the Internet who are trying to keep up with, uh, with this uh, little process of ours. I know it's tough. I know we're not doing a good job putting this stuff on there, but uh, trust us, we're doing the best we can. Now, for those who were here back when I did this Lecture 111, when we started this little foray into 2 Kings 1 and 2, and you know why I have to do 2 Kings 1 and 2? Why do I have to do it? Because of Romans 5.12. That's where we got here. Uh, Romans 5.12 makes you do 1 Kings 1 and 2. You know, those of you who are here, you know that something happens at Jericho and something happens at Bethel. I have healing at Jericho. And in other words, no more death or barrenness because of the new bowl and the salt thing that he does. You know that I have this healing at Jericho and I have a slaughter at Bethel. So no more death or barrenness, barrenness versus a curse and death slaughter at Bethel. So immediately, by knowing the end of the story, so to speak, you can see how this comparison contrast is starting to be established between Jericho and Bethel. In other words, these are two complete opposite results, and that helps you a great deal. It's a place to start. We know that the salt and the new bowl is the opposite of the two female bears. So I can begin to figure out what these two female bears are doing and why they're there by figuring out what the new bowl and the salt is as best I can. Obviously, I have salvation at Jericho. People are saved there. And I have condemnation at Bethel. So Jericho is saved. Bethel is lost. I have salvation versus condemnation. I have life and I have death. Life at Jericho, death at Bethel. You would expect the opposite, wouldn't you? Jericho was supposedly a bad place. Bethel was supposedly a good place. But for whatever reason, Jericho is saved and Bethel is cursed. Jericho was cursed by Joshua. Joshua 6.26, it's now blessed. Bethel, once the house of God, is now the center in Israel for Baal Zebub worship. It is the house of Baal Zebub now. It is filled to the brim with uh, Baal Zebubbers. That's a new word. Okay? And thus the obvious questions start flying out, right? What caused the difference? It seemed like they both asked the same question. Let me read the question. Ah, find it. Um, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from over you today? Both of them asked that question. One of them is saved and one of them is dead. What's, what's the difference? What caused this difference? Elisha, he's one of the foremost types of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. He saves Jericho and he brings judgment to Bethel. So if you want to think of it this way, Jesus Christ has the same question asked to him twice. He saves Jericho and he brings judgment to Bethel. Based on what exactly? Why did he do it? Well, again, if you were here three weeks ago, you might remember that I said that 1 Kings chapter 1 and chapter 2 have a foundational theme. I'm repeating it again. 1 Corinthians 15, the doctrine of the body resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the basis that's what caused salvation. Cause is a bad word. That's the result of understanding that. See, they went out and searched. 
So they're going out searching. There's no body. Thank you. I see it. There's no body. I might run over, Terry. There's no body to find. You can't find the body. You understand that? You can't find the body. The body isn't there. You'll never find the body. Does that make sense? Where am I going now? I'm in the New Testament. You'll never find the body. Don't look for the body. Why are you looking for the body? Are you crazy? Do you understand what looking for the body means doctrinally? If you're looking for the body, you think there is a body. There is no body. I'm in the New Testament. You're hunting for the body of Christ. You are in serious doctrinal error because it has resurrected. He resurrected himself. You have to know that. So when they go and say, we're looking for the body, Elisha is ashamed of them. You should know better. But they, go ahead, go. Go. Not going to find it. Go. But they came back and said, we didn't find the body. Can we deal with this water problem we got? We're all dying here in Jericho. We got cursed by Joshua. Chapter 6. It's bad. We're all dying here. We didn't find the body. Sorry about that. You did tell us. But can you fix the water? And he does. Saves them. What made him fix the water? What's the difference between him and Bethel? What happens at Bethel? I got I got bears at Bethel. Okay. Jericho searches for the body of Elijah after being directly ordered not to do so. We're talking now about the doctrine of the body resurrection of Christ. And they bring shame on themselves. Anyone who denies the, uh, especially when you physically act on it like this as they did, anyone who denies the body resurrection of Christ is bringing shame upon themselves. And I'm leaping around a little, but I hope you're making all the connection. Bethel comes out now uh, against uh, Elisha and that mocks the body resurrection. That's what they do. Go up, you bald head. Go up, you bald head. That is mocking. Not only they may know the resurrection occurred, but they still mock it. And Jericho responds to Elisha's words, Did I not say to you, do not go with, please heal the death barrenness of our city. They knew immediately this is somebody who can heal the death and the barrenness, the water problem. He can bring us hope and life. They recognize that Elisha is a man of God. He can fix this. Just as in 1 Kings chapter 1, right? If I am a man of God, then let fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Was he a man of God? Yes. How do we know that? The fire came down and consumed the captain and the 50 men. We proved he's a man of God. Proved it twice. These folks come to Elisha. After he asks, where is the God of Elijah, the Lord God of Elijah? They finally come and say, can you fix the water? You can fix the water. Please fix the water. We're dying here. They knew where the Lord God of Elijah was after they went looking for the body and found no body. Right? Got that, I hope? Think of it this way. We have the opposite of what happened at Jericho. It's the same as the third captain coming to Elisha and saying, please fix the water is the same as the third captain throwing himself down and saying, I don't need a demonstration. 
You are the Lord. You are the man of God. I don't need to be consumed. Don't consume me. Don't consume my men. If you say don't consume me, don't consume my men, what are you saying? You have the power to do it. Please don't. They're doing the same thing. You have the power to heal this water, to overturn the curse of Joshua. You have the power to overcome the curse. You can overcome the curse. Figure out where I'm going now? What are they saying about Elisha? Okay. So Elisha responds with life, with living water. Elisha could have said the same words in this sense. He could have said it this way. They could have come to him and said, uh, uh, can you heal us, essentially save us from the curse? And he, he could have said, if I am a man of God, then let the water be healed. Let there be no death. He could have said that, and then he would have gone about and proved it, just as Elijah did. Now, make the jump to Jesus Christ. All of this that he is doing is about Jesus Christ, body resurrection, overcoming the curse of death, bringing living water, bringing salvation. That's what the story is about, with the foundation of it being the body resurrection. See, we have some that demand that God, they're God in the flesh, that's Jesus Christ, who, who is God himself, the invisible made visible, the creator of all things. We have some that scream at him, calm down now. That's not going to work. That leads to condemnation. Obviously, calm down now has a greater meaning. We'll go over it next week. It, it means that it's, it's revealing an intense hatred of God, and it causes God to intervene. So we've got to investigate what does come down quickly fully mean. But right now you know there has to be a relationship between come down now and what? I'll read it. Go up, you bald head. They have to mean the same thing. One got fire, the other got killed by bears. It's the same thing. Go up your bald head, go up you bald head, and come down now, or come down quickly, or come down... That is the, their equivalent. They mean the same thing. And that's your first important key to unlocking 1 Kings uh, 1 and 2. I call it the key key. Thank you for laughing. I think somebody did somewhere. Okay. Everybody in the story, and this is important, everyone in the story always knows that the other knows. Everyone in the story. With almost no exception. I'll make a case uh, that's different with the uh, question of where is the Lord God of Elijah. But with regard to Elijah and Elisha, everybody knows what, that the other knows. And that explains the puzzling, do you know that the Lord will take away your master from you or from over you today? And he says, yes, I know. Keep silent. He knows. The very question now comes into question. Elijah knows that Elisha knows when they're talking to each other. It is a question, it is a conversation that each person knows that the other knows. So what's the obvious question now? Why are they having...